Okay, so, um, but before we get to the passage that we're on this morning, which is four, uh, chapter 421, uh, I want to just read a couple of other uh, bits of scripture before we get there. Um, because it helps to shape what Paul is really saying. You know, he, he's, he's conv- trying to convince the church about grace. And he's coming at it from lots of different angles. And he's coming to the same conclusion. Okay? And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes, if you're anything like me, I need to be told something maybe two or three different ways before the penny drops. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we have this passage in, in chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, And because you are his sons, and I'm going to put in daughters as well, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also heir, an heir of all the promises of God. Now, Paul's position is really clear. Whether you're a Gentile believer or a Jewish believer, his position is this. If you've come to faith in Christ and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are full member in the household of faith. And actually what he's saying is, if you have received the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is proof of God's grace at work in your life. Okay? So if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, he's then saying to the Gentile believers... You are not second-class Christians. You are not second-class citizens in the household of faith. God's Spirit, His His actual presence, God Himself has come and He's filled you and He's put His seal of, of approval into you and onto you. In a sense, it's like He's given you the name of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? He's like, you're mine. How affirming that is for the Gentile believers who are going, oh no, do I need to still adhere to some of these Jewish customs that the guys are coming in and around the community and saying, no, no, you need to add this stuff to your life. Paul's going, no, no, no. It's all Jesus. To the point where in Galatians chapter 3.28, that amazing kind of central uh, uh, scripture, which, which most sort of civil rights movements have quoted throughout the years, says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male or female, for you are all in one, all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. We're one. doesn't matter today what background you come from, what culture you come from, what kind of church background you've had, if you've had some or not, the reality is we are one in Him. Not because of what we've done. Not because of the hoops that we've tried to jump. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And because He was raised to new life, you and me, new beginning. We are all equal. There's nobody in this room holy or less holy and I think that for some of us we need to hear that because we might not have like a Jewish background and the, and the argument that's going on here might be slightly different in our heads but I think for some of us we constantly go, come to church or go to a prayer meeting or go to a small group and we go I am rubbish 
What do I need to do to make it right today? What else do I need to do? And what Paul is saying is you don't need to do anything but surrender to the the love of God. That's it. That's the gospel right there. And Julie, if you were here last week, did an absolute cracking, cracking talk on that very thing. So if you want your heart refreshed, um, you know, go onto the podcast and, and listen to what Julie uh, says. So Paul is really trying to kind of punch this stuff. And he's coming from a number of different angles, if you like. He uses his own story to demonstrate what grace is all about. Remember that? He said, hey, I was a, I was a lawyer. I was the, the Pharisee amongst Pharisees. I did it all. And what did it get me? Did it get me to a place of love and acceptance? No. Actually, it brought me anger and frustration and you know, the realization of him standing with, with Stephen being stoned. That's where it took me. And if you read through Galatians, Paul also uses Peter as an example. In chapter 2, Peter's duplicity. When one minute he's hanging out with the Gentiles and operating in a particular way and relating to them in a particular way. And when the Jewish believers arrive, he starts to change his behavior, modifies his behavior because he's got a blind spot. And, he's, and, and again, Paul uses him as an example to say, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that to be accepted by God. And then he uses the work of the Holy Spirit as the main kind of evidence and seal. And then he begins to talk about as well. And that's where we're going to be today for the next 20 minutes, okay? So chapter 4, verse 21, Paul uses the story of Abraham, or and in particular Hagar and Sarah and their two sons. And um, he uses their story, if you like, figuratively, and he, and he uses it to raise a question, And the question is this, what kind of a son or daughter are you going to be? Are you going to be a son that ultimately has access to all of the Father's resources and love and all of the promises of God come live in you and work through you? Or ultimately are you going to become a son or a daughter that actually is born out of unbelief, is made of flesh, produces flesh and doesn't live a life that God wants a a, a life that's full and rich and so this this is what where we're going today okay so the question is is what kind of a son do you want to be what kind of a daughter do you want to be and our parents have a lot to do don't we Uh, of what we look like or, or how even we how we behave that's scary, you know. I'm a parent, two girls, and, and I suddenly realize that actually my DNA is at work in my kids. And I, I thank goodness that Tor's DNA is at work in my children too, you see. Uh, because you, you kind of know to some degree where you're going when you look at your parents. Don't, is, is that not true? Well, I don't know about you, but it certainly is for me. Okay, so here is my dad. Look at that handsome, bald guy. And we're talking about me now. 
You know, I, see, the, there is my father's DNA, whether I like it or not, is at work in my life. And, and the is, it's not only that we're starting to look like each other. I mean, I don't spend a huge amount of time with dad because they live in Bristol. But, but I suddenly find myself doing things, saying things, acting like him. And I don't know where it comes from. It's like, it's in me, but I didn't even know it was there. You know, for 42 years, my dad, that's just, just about giving away my age now, has prayed this prayer at lunchtime or at dinner time. You know, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Would you, you bless this food to our bodies? In Jesus' name, amen. I do the exact same thing. I start to say the same stuff that my dad has said for years. Now, let's be honest, when it comes to parenting, there's a whole load of nurture and nature, isn't there, that goes on. Some of you are biology experts and psychologists, and you know that. But what Paul is going to do in this passage is he's going to say, parentage is really important. Because the parent or the mother determines what kind of a son or a daughter you're going to be. And through looking at this story of two sons, two mums, he starts to extrapolate, if you like, an illustration between are we going to be a son of the promise or are we going to be a son that actually ends up a slave and remains not a full member. And it's gutting. We end up being the other one. So let's read. Okay. Wow. Okay. Verse 21. This is Paul. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud. You who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scriptures say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So Paul is going to use their, this household, if you like, uh, a bit, as an illustration. So let's remind ourselves a little bit about the life of Abraham, guys. And if you're new to church, then I guess, you know, this is going way back in time. 
you know, and uh, Abraham is this, 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 this godly man, actually, who's trying to do and God comes to him in the land of Ur and speaks to him and says, Abraham, I, I, I want to make you into an, an, an amazing nation with many, many children and, and I want to bless you and I want to be with you and you know, from, from you will become this nation and this nation will be my people. And you need to leave this place and go to a land that I've prepared for you. And so as you go back and read Genesis from Genesis chapter 12, you begin to see the story of Abraham unfold. As God calls him from one location to journey with him to a promised land. Like, you know, and I love Abraham's story. We did it a couple of years ago, about four or five years ago. We looked at the life of Abraham. And you'll realize, just like you and me, Abraham is this, you know, he's, he's, an, he's a guy who's really up for it. But he's also a guy that has failings and weaknesses. You know, he makes sometimes some poor decisions because of fear and you know, he, but, but the amazing thing is this, as he journeys trying to be obedient to God and pursue this promise, God is unbelievably faithful to him. Even when he's not, God is faithful. And so in Abraham's story, we have our own, don't we? You know, we feel a call of God. We know God's promised stuff for us. We're going to pursue him and pursue those things. And yet the reality is you and I are weak and we will make mistakes. But God is faithful with us. And so as you walk through Abraham's story, you know, he's getting older. And in one sense, it seems like this promise has become even more distant the older he's got. You'd think he'd be getting closer to it. You know, he's got more material things. You know, he's got sheep, you know, and uh, massive flocks. And he's got people working for him. And he's got all this staff. And it seems like, yeah, you can kind of see the nation. But it's not quite what God promised. He says, a nation will come through you. So he, his immediate family hasn't grown. And as he gets older, he, him and his wife Sarah start to look at each other probably look in the mirror and go, oh, we need to do something about this. Because I don't know about you, but my body's beginning to fail. And you can kind of understand, can't you? As they look at themselves and look to themselves, they go, actually, we haven't got it really in us. This is a problem. And maybe we need to make this promise happen ourselves. And so what they do is they decide for Abraham to have another wife. And with Sarah's consent, they take Hagar, this Egyptian maidservant, into their home. And Abraham and Hagar sleep together and they have a child, a son called Ishmael. Now, the reality is Sarah seems to be okay with that initially. I don't think God is because the promise was that Sarah would have a son and even though as they look at themselves that's impossible because we're getting old and you know things aren't working the way they maybe should but they take the promise into their own hands and they try to fulfill it 
by their own strength. And they produce a son after themselves. And God waits another, probably at least 12, some commentators say like 15 years to the point where Abraham is nearly 100 (laughs) and Sarah's 90. It's like God has waited till they're just about completely dead. (laughs) You know, the bodies are completely just about packed in. And they know themselves that this is an absolute impossibility now. And then God acts. And he comes and he visits them and he says, in nine months, Sarah, you're going to have the baby boy, I promised you. And she's like, (laughs) you're right. And nine months later, baby Isaac is born. A miracle child. They really didn't have a whole lot to do with it. God acted. And so we end up with these two sons. And so Paul begins to draw these analogies, saying that these two sons from two different mums, one son born according to the flesh, where they should have waited, but actually he's been produced because of disobedience and a lack of faith. And actually he's saying that Ishmael is the product of not believing and not trusting. He's the product of trying to make it all happen under their own strength, under their own wisdom. Can you see that? And so we have these two sons. And so this is what Paul is sort of getting at. Born of flesh, born out of trying to make it happen. Actually, Ishmael is man-made. But also Paul begins to say, Ishmael also represents the law. You see that in the text. He uses Ishmael and Hagar as illustrations, and he implies that the law was given. In other words, the Mosaic law that the Jewish guys were were following was given because the Israelites kept seeking to return to Egypt. They kept wanting to do things in their own strength. And so God gave them the law. The law was born out of Israel's um, disobedience to God. Can you see that? And so he's analogies. He's saying the law is like a stand-in. It's not the promise. Something better is to come. And so in Abraham's household, the better is the promise of Isaac. And so here comes Isaac. And Isaac, he's a product of faith and believing and trusting Isaac is a son born trying to give God a hand, but he's the product of relying on God. It's all God. God made it happen. Paul puts it this way, and I think in verse 29 of chapter 4, he says that Isaac is a son born of the power of the Holy Spirit and not of flesh. Now something miraculous had to happen, didn't it, inside um, Sarah. She was dysfunctional. 
She couldn't have a child and God's Spirit had to do something on the inside of her to produce a son. Born of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when flesh and flesh come together, it equals flesh, doesn't it? But when flesh and spirit come together, it equals spirit. God's DNA is at work in her. And so he's using these analogies. You could be a, a man of flesh or you could be a son of the power and of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what we're called to be. That's what he's trying to get at. So God's DNA has to be, if you like, in the mix. There's got to be a God moment for this godly new birth. I think that's why in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's the man of the law, remember? He says, no, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, and the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying that you should be born again. The law is a man-made effort of trying to better yourself and make yourself in some way um, approved and acceptable to God. God's DNA is not in there. So what kind of son or did you want to be? One of the promise? Or one that's man-made? So here we are. In this household of faith, we've got these two sons, haven't we? And guess what happens? These two sons can't actually cohabit. You can't have these two sons hanging out together. Because guess what? It produces family friction. It produces tension. Grace and law, you can't have them coexisting. One of them has to leave the household of faith because the other supersedes it and fulfills it. And so we've got this situation where Ishmael actually has to end up leaving the home. And remember, Paul's using all of this as an analogy, okay? But also, I want to suggest this. As a dad, that must have grieved Abraham. That must, you know, he's having to live with the consequence of his own unfaithfulness towards God. And the product of that is a son, isn't it? It's a living, breathing person. And now this person needs to leave the household because he can't coexist with the promised son arriving. Now, I think what Paul does using this analogy is that he says, actually, some, for some of us, it's not easy to let go of the rules and the law and the ritual and fully embrace the Son because we've become so used to this. Does that make sense? And so I think, you know, a great um, parable that Jesus uses that law and grace cannot coexist is that in, in I think it's in uh, Luke chapter 5 Jesus is speaking about the kingdom and some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to Jesus and they challenge Jesus and sort of say things like hey why are your disciples 
scratch in their hands before they go uh, come in for supper? Why aren't they doing certain prayer th- rituals? You, you know, and he says to them, hold on a minute, you know, um, things are going to be very different. And he uses this analogy or this parable. He says, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured. No, he says no. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. And then he says this, which is really used to bug me. It says, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better you see what's going on there is that Jesus and I think Paul is implying that actually we quite like Ishmael we quite like the security of the law we quite like doing things in a particular way and actually when you've tasted of that even though it's not always great for you you struggle to let go of it And so what Jesus is saying here is, there's a new wine. There's a new wine of my kingdom, a new grace. You cannot pour it into the old wineskins of the law. Why? Because the power of grace will force the law stuff to break. And it will pour out. They cannot coexist. Grace supersedes the law. Is that helpful? Is it helpful, guys? Seriously? Okay. And so there's this tension. And so Paul is pleading with the church. He's saying, guys, we are Isaacs. We have been born of God's Spirit. Let's be a people that rely on His faithful work, His power, His eternal promise, His grace. And the result is, if, like Isaac, we are promised children, and God's Spirit will be at work in us and will be sons and daughters with God's DNA active in our lives. And guess what it'll do? It'll begin to push out the old man. The old ways. The old nature. And so what we have is a picture now of grace and law, but also in those two brothers, we have a picture of the new creation, us and the old. And they can't, you know, when they're in the same household, there is always going to be tension. But with the Spirit of God at work in us, it's pushing, if you like, Ishmael out so that God's full promises can be at work in us, through us. And that becomes a very, very attractive household to be a part of. A life that's very attractive. A life that's full of love. Because we're going to now, t- you know, if, if God's Spirit is at work in us, then if God's DNA and character is at work in us, then, then what, is that, what does that look like? It says that we will have lives full of love. Oh, that's good. I want more of that. I want to love you guys more. I want to love my friends and my neighbors more. Because I'm loved. I want to know that. I want to feel it in me. 
When I wake up in the morning, quoting Julie, I want to go to the old guy, die, but I also want to go, Lord, I'm loved by you, and I want to love. You know, that is, people in love are just attractive. Would you not agree? I mean, when you look at these two, they love each other. There is, you know, it's true though, isn't it? You know, when a girl falls in love, it's like they glow. It's like, wow, you're looking good, you're looking fine. That's what Ali's saying. And when a man is in love, there's like a, hmm, yeah, I'm in love. And you know, but people looking at that go, that, there's something really attractive. I want to be around them. You see, when we're in love with God, when God's love is in us, the world finds it attractive, full of love. What else? Full of joy. Hey, I tell you what, do you know, more and more, as I hang out in church and be around people in church, and I see a joy, a joy that the world doesn't give. And I think it's a mark of being filled and being a people of the Spirit, without a doubt. I've met a lot of miserable Christians. And I tell you what, I would ask a question about are they in relationship or are they in religion? Because I think a mark of the Holy Spirit is a mark of joy. Even in the of times, there's a joy that comes. You know, I've met a lot of Christians over the years. And, you know, with my street pastor stuff, I've worked in, with, with, with loads of different denominations and all that kind of stuff. And it, this is not about denomination. This is about the Spirit of God. I've met people, I don't know how they've started in their journey of coming to faith, but at some point, they've either re-embraced Ishmael and the law, and something has happened to them. And when they've, they've moved from serving at church to being duty-bound. You ever met those guys? I'm on tea and coffee today. I'm on the host team. They might not say that. They generally go, I'm on the host team. But it's... Because they've moved. They've moved from, hey... We're going we're gonna to welcome people into Jesus' house and we're going to love them too. Oh my gosh, he's making me get up at eight. I've got to be there at nine. I've got to fill the coffee bar. You see, we're moving, aren't we? From freedom and servanthood and being filled with him to... And do you know what the first thing that goes? Joy. You can try and hide it. But on the inside, it's like, hi. I've met, hey, we've all met him. I know there's none here. I just want to say that. Hallelujah, yeah. All right. Full of joy, peace. Oh, come on. We need some peace, don't we? Kindness. This is what I'm working on. Well, Tor's helping me work on it. Let's put it that way. James, just be kinder. I'm like, oh, you can. You know, and we can kind of take the, the kindness back, can't we? You will be kinder. It doesn't work. It's like when I'm around the Spirit of God. Oh, fill me, Lord. Yes, I realize I'm a numpty at times. Oh, I want to be kinder to people. See, it comes out of an overflow. What's the DNA? Is it the law? Is it the Spirit? 
faithfulness. I want to be more faithful. I want to be more faithful to you. To you, Lord. My friends. I want to be more faithful to Jesus. I want to be more faithful to my family. I want the world to look and go, you know, Juicy has some weaknesses and frailties, but he's faithful. That's attractive, isn't it? When we're at work, he is a dependable and faithful man. Why? Ah, maybe it has something to do with his faith. Maybe it has something to do with, you know, he's quite a funny guy. He's got some joy going on. Even when the accounts are just going all pear-shaped, he's still got joy. That's attractive. Gentleness. And maybe we should all just stand now and go self-control. Not putting anything on you, but I know I need it. Because a life of self-control produces all this other good stuff as well. We need you, Lord. And so, are we going to be an Isaac? That's what Paul's saying to the church. He's saying, be Isaacs. You are Isaacs. You have God's DNA. His spirit is operating in your life. Let him push out the old. Let the new wine come. And let's live in it now. Now I just want to finish by saying this. And just, there's some scriptures that are going to come up on screen. Because you see, we are. Isaac was a child of the promise. And this, you know, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of promises that God has said over each and every one of us because now we are sons and daughters. And these are just a few. In John chapter 10, he says, I have come so that you may have life in all its fullness. Man, I tell you what, that doesn't sound boring. Does it? Does that sound religious? In fact, that sounds like the absolute sort of antithesis of boring and religion because he's talking about something you know we're not called to be dead but fully alive in all of the variety and creativity of what that looks like in our personalities and character fullness of life peace I leave with you peace I give you what a great promise when the wheels are coming off because they do don't they sometimes you know when suddenly the mortgage spikes, you know, inflation rises, council tax goes up, but your wage has been cut. You know, let's talk about that kind of stuff. We need peace. What, what, what is my life on the rock of peace? Yeah? Peace. Receive my promise and you will receive power when it comes to you. That's a promise. Let's press in. Tonight, coming deeper. Going deeper. Maybe... It is that, you know, maybe we, tonight when we, when we pray, we're going to say, Lord, we're just going to kind of stand in these promises tonight. Come with your power. I don't know about you and God at work. Without him, I'm a dead man. I'm rubbish. I sin or I'd just be a mess. A bigger one than I am. We need the power. Come to me and I'll give you rest. My yoke is light. Lightness. There's a lightness in him. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Wow. And I love that scripture. That promise. Nothing above or below. You know? Nothing can separate us from him. He's going to meet our needs according to his riches and glory.
I don't know. Maybe there is a provision thing in your life at the moment. Maybe it feels like the piggy bank is a little bit empty. Don't jump the gun. Trust him. Trust him. And I'll be with you to the end of all times. Wow. Let's stand. Okay? Let's stand.